Are you looking to relocate to a warmer climate? Jack Rupi is an experienced real estate executive focused on investment and asset management of a broad spectrum of asset classes. He participates in real estate partnerships in the multifamily, self-storage, mobile home, and private lending industries. He moved his business and family to the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. He will tell you about the different tax-saving benefits of relocating to Puerto Rico, as well as the beauty and lifestyle on the island. Find out why some people are referring to Puerto Rico as the new Silicon Valley. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your investing experience and what assets you are in today. Sure. Great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, so I've been in real estate since 2001. Um, originally, uh, was, I have a degree in information technology, but I graduated during the dot-com crash. So I uh, started kind of getting into real estate just because there wasn't as many opportunities in, the, in, in what I thought was my chosen field. Um, and within a year or so, I ended up quitting my job and starting uh, buying and selling properties in Rochester, New York, uh, where I went to college. Uh, I was flipping houses, became a broker, uh, was wholesaling, really all the traditional real estate uh, types of strategies until 2008. And uh, during the crash, I had an opportunity to work for a private equity fund in New York that was buying non-performing mortgages. So that was my first foray into the distressed debt space. And it was a, um, you know, a space I've continued in over the last uh, 10 years uh, and uh, you know, was fortunate to be able to scale, scale a company to a pretty significant size. That's awesome. I mean, I know that we met somewhere back in 2011-12 at a conference. I mean, there's been many conferences. Uh, you know, is that how you got into the, the note business or how did you get, you know, first introduced to it? Sure. So, yeah, the, the first the first foray was actually a job. So at the height of the financial crisis, I was at a fund that was buying non-performing seconds for pennies on the dollar at the time. Uh, and I know you've got a ton of experience uh, in that space. So I was there about a year and a half and, uh, you know, I learned the business there. Um, they needed someone who had real estate experience to, to handle the short sale inquiries, loan mods, et cetera. So, uh, but once I learned the space and I saw the opportunities, you know, being an entrepreneur, guy, I, I left and went on my own and started raising uh, just some friends and family money to, to participate in the market uh, myself. So I was buying loans from from you know that fund and some other smaller funds that would that would resell individual loans um, into the space. So I ended up focusing more on the first mortgage side of the business just because the capital I had uh, raised uh, was just more more traditional real estate guys that uh, understood. Uh, you know, from doing private lending and other uh, real estate ventures, they understood being in first position. They were a little bit uh, apprehensive about, um, you know, the risks associated with second position. In hindsight, I wish I did more second position loans, but uh, um, yeah, it was a great, uh, you know, I was really just organically started growing, growing my fund and uh, buying and selling loans. And that led to much larger opportunities just by having a marketing presence and selling loans, a private equity fund that had, had not really been in the, in the mortgage space. They were in more of the credit card debt space, um, wanted to learn more about the mortgage uh, investment opportunities and approached me off of a LinkedIn connection. And um, you know, that, that meeting turned into you know, what turned into $3 billion of acquisitions uh, between 2014 and uh, 2020. That's definitely pretty sizable for most investors, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 almost a different world at that point. Um, you know, once you're you know once you're dealing in the hundreds of millions of dollars, you're 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 able to secure very very inexpensive leverage. Uh, you know, interest rates uh, in some cases sub three percent on a securitization. 
So it really changes the dynamics of, uh, of, of buying and what, what you could pay for assets. And it was, I know sometimes a source of frustration for some of the smaller buyers who wanted to buy, buy from us when you, you know, are buying sort of with cash and without leverage. But, uh, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing learning experience to scale. Um, you know, it, it, we had over 30,000 assets at any given point and, uh, you know, 600 foreclosures in across the nation, you know, dealing with hundreds of individual markets and realtors with foreclosures in, in various places. So, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, amazing to scale to that level and, and handle the, just the, the management aspect of hundreds of assets, even with loan servicing companies and a lot of support, um, you know, the, the, the scale is still kind of mind boggling to me. <laughs> you know, how many loans were passing, passing through our system. What was your specific role or your duties there? So, um, you know, I was one of the founders of the prior company and we ended up merging in 2015. So um, I, I handled the, you know, sales, business development, and a lot of the initial recruiting. I actually brought on an extra, uh, a third partner in, in the company. Um, you know, I brought on because I knew him from a prior role. So, um, you know, really overall deal sourcing, business development, uh, you know, and as it scaled, it became, you know, became part of a larger team. And we had a lot of support from our, our parent company, um, you know, that had, had the larger contacts with like the securitization market. So, um, you know, it was really a, um, you know, just overall executive, uh, executive role. So I know you are very, you know, a lot of people in the space. So, you know, guys that are buying a few hundred thousand, obviously, you know, guys that are buying hundreds of millions, you know, what are the dif differentiating things that set apart the fund that's doing billions of dollars versus little guys, or how can the little guys, you know, what do they need to do now or implement that may help them grow to that kind of scale? Um, sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you've got to put yourself out there and you've got to, you have to, you know, I don't want to say, you know, there, there's like an analogy, fake it till you make it, but that's not, I don't want to advocate that. But I mean, you know, if your goal is to scale like that, you have to have uh, enough of a professional presence to, uh, you know, to start having those meetings, you know, meaning, you know, don't approach a private equity fund with an AOL.com email address. Uh, <laughs> like, like some of the joker brokers I've seen sort of sending portfolios around. Um, you know, there is, um, you know, a bit of, uh, you know, really just putting together professional materials and, a, and a, you know, something that demonstrates your value proposition. Um, most larger sophisticated funds, family offices at this stage are, are familiar enough with the non-performing loan space. I don't think that was even the case in 2010. It was, it was, it was an industry that existed before the crash of 08, but it really wasn't, there wasn't enough product to really have the attention of a lot of the sophisticated players. So I, I think at this stage of the game, you know, the, 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 the family offices and higher network investors are aware of it. And it's, I think it's demonstrating that you have both contacts and deal flow and enough operational acumen to, to help them execute on uh, whatever whatever strategy you're you're you're, you're doing, whether it's buying non-performing first, seconds, or or you know any other real estate asset class. So presenting yourself professionally, and ultimately, we'll say you have to have confidence in what you're doing, right? Yeah, you have to have confidence in what you're doing, and you have to have uh, you know enough of a team to to make it work. You know, I'm not. Uh, you know, we talked about this before we went on. I'm not. I think neither of us are are excellent financial modelers, uh, yep. you know, I can get around an Excel sheet, but I'm not going to build uh, the type of model that, uh, you know, my, my old firm and most of the large sophisticated firms work on. Um, that's a certain 
certain skill set and a certain type of personality that can that can do those types of models. So you need to have uh, a rounded out team. If you're a sales, if you're a sales business develop business development person, you need that strong operating partner. If you're more introverted and you're more of a um, a number cruncher and due diligence person, that's that's great. But you know you need to you know you need to have uh, a partner or or, uh, or a salesperson that's going to be able to network and get get deal flow so that you can uh, you know you have loans to buy. So yeah, it's, it's really the power team if you want to use the you know one of the old uh, buzzwords. Yeah, I agree. What I've learned over the last ten years too is that I mean I think across multiple sectors now it's sometimes much easier. Uh, to outsource those to the experts or certain vendors, maybe until you get enough scale that it, it may become beneficial to bring it in house. Do you agree there? Oh, I 100% agree. 100% agree. And then uh, one other just thing I just thought of on the track record side, when I was raising my first fund, um, I was honest about my track record, but I also showed deals that I brokered that I didn't have a direct financial position in, but that I had sourced and sold to, to other clients and that, that gave me permission to follow along with the deal. So um, many investors, you know, it's a, it's a chicken and the egg scenario. Uh, you know, an investor that's looking to get into, into a space, you know, knows that by the time you have a really, really strong track record, you might be too big for them to invest. So, um, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it was, it was very important for me to just demonstrate how the deals worked from beginning to end, even if they weren't fully mine. And any of the investors I talked to at that early stage were, we're perfectly okay with that on, on, Hey, I sourced this deal to a client and this is how much money they made on the deal. And I, you know, was, was, you know, involved to the level I was involved, but it just demonstrates the, the full life cycle of the deal, even if it wasn't all your own money at the time. Yeah. I know a lot of other uh, players or, you know, investors in the note space, they're always trying to source product. And over the years I've, Notice, you know, through seeing you in person or Facebook or whatever it may be that you're always traveling around the world and getting to certain events, you know, can you tell us how that has impacted and benefited your business? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of just face to face. And obviously with COVID, it's a little more challenging, but um, there's just a different level of connection when you're, uh, when you have a lot of time with people face to face, the, the impromptu lunch meetings, the um, the, the panels, the, you know, frankly, the happy hours afterwards too, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but a lot of business gets done there. A lot of business can get done on the, on the golf course. So, um, just the, the, the time, you know, where you can spend an hour just, uh, in a, in a, in a random group sometimes, uh, and, and just get to meet everyone and, and really dive into opportunities. That just is not gonna, not gonna happen on, on a, you know, on a cold email or, or cold phone call. And, um, you know, it, it really, it goes, it goes both ways. And, uh, you know, I, I try to provide a lot of value too. It's I'm not always at these conferences just to pitch what we're doing. It's really, how do we, how do we create win-win relationships? What are, you know, what is, what are the other groups looking for? Are they looking to source deals? Are they looking to sell? Are they looking for referrals or, or, you know, help with, with, uh, you know, how to, how did I structure something? I, I've always been, you know, very much an open book on, on my, you know, my goals, my strategies, and, and I, you know, I've always thought of the rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. And so for all listeners, just to reiterate, I mean, as they say, the network equals the net worth, right? I mean, the people that you meet out in this world make an impact on everything in your life. Do you agree there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's, uh, fortunately it's, it's, this aspect of the, of, of the game has always been fun for me. You know, I, I, I enjoy meeting new people, hearing their stories and, and strategizing on how to, 
you know, how to, how to help each other. So, um, you know, it, I know, I know for some, you know, uh, my wife's a little more introverted and she's very social, but like, you know, it's actually like, you know, I think, uh, can be a little more tiring or overwhelming. Whereas me, you put me in a group of 50 people. I want to meet everybody and, you know, get to know everybody. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's very valuable. And, uh, you know, for, for those that aren't as social, I mean, you know, you just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's worth putting the effort in cause it, it'll, it'll pay you back tenfold. Now I know, uh, you know, I guess after, you know, working there at the fund now, recently you moved to Puerto Rico, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I got to thank you. You, 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 and, uh, and, you know, you were the first person I knew that, uh, that, that moved down and, uh, you know, I got, I got to say, I was even a bit ignorant. I didn't know that you didn't need a passport to go to Puerto Rico the first time. So I thought, <laughs> Boston's, but, Sorry. A lot of people sometimes don't even know that it's just dollars or it's even part of the U S or yeah. I mean, it's very interesting growing up. You just never really spoke about Puerto Rico. I mean, it's just kind of a, a different world. Yeah, yeah. And I still get questions of, uh, is there power after the hurricane? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, I'm surprised, I'm shocked at still how many people are just really unaware, unaware of the territory. And it's a beautiful island. And, uh, you know, it's been, been an amazing place to, uh, you know, to, to relocate to. Um, you know, for me, being in New York, uh, you know, the second highest tax state, you know, it, it became, uh, you know, it became an opportunity to really kind of improve my lifestyle. Um, you know, New York, Manhattan was amazing, but uh, you know, it was an amazing place to get started. And we probably, I don't know that I could have been involved in a multi-billion dollar fund if I was living in the Midwest somewhere. I mean, I think you have to have that proximity when you're trying to grow something large. Um, but, you know, it does wear on you, um, you know, both the kind of the, the work culture, the, 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 the just uh, grind of it, the, the commute, the, the, you know, the taxes and the high cost of living. Um, you can make really great money, but 50% of it goes to the government and, you know, of the rest, you're spending thousands a month on an apartment. Everything's more expensive. Just going for, going to the grocery store, everything, is, everything is just built into the, you know, higher cost of living there and eventually it wears on you. So Puerto Rico was a, and, and, you know, it wasn't just the tax benefits, but the tax benefits also uh, contributed to being able to live a much higher quality of life um, just by keeping some more of the money that, uh, that I'm earning. I think everybody's seeing it in the news right now, you know, of this net migration or people, people fleeing these colder or high tax states and, you know, getting out of these urban core areas. So, I mean, I guess you got out just in time, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> especially, especially with the first wave of COVID hitting so bad there as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I guess I was a little ahead of the curve. You were very ahead of the curve yeah. um, uh, at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm thankful. And the other thing uh, to me, like one of my favorite parts to go back to the networking is the, the types of people that have moved. I mean, there's a few thousand people who have taken advantage of the Act 20. Um, so it's, it's almost its own little Silicon Valley of entrepreneurs. Um, the difference is, you know, these are entrepreneurs who have already made it. So there, there's a really, really interesting investment community here of entrepreneurs that have, have had enough success that it makes some sense for them to move their business here. And also enough of a sense of adventure to actually do it. Uh, I've talked to so many people that have been like, oh, I'd love to go to Puerto Rico, but I have, uh, you know, kids are in private school. I don't want to move or the, my, you know, my wife won't let me. And uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not that everyone can do this. With that said, I know a lot of people who moved their entire families to Puerto Rico as well and are, are extremely, extremely happy down here. You can live in a city like Condado, you can live in Dorado or uh, Rio Mar and have sort of a golf course community at, you know, a high end golf course community or an average golf course community. So there, there really is something for everyone. There's rainforests, there's, 
uh, great beaches, surfing. So it's got really something for for everybody, you know, except skiing. If you if you if, if you're an avid skier, you just gotta you know have a have a vacation home somewhere else. So I mean, it sounds like I mean from all experiences, I mean Puerto Rico does have a lot to offer there, regards to climate, uh, different schools, restaurants, ev- culture, everything. Um, can you give us a high level and just maybe some of the tax benefits people could expect to move in there and why one would? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, originally it was called Act 20 and Act 22. They've, they've rolled all these laws under a new Act 60, but uh, the, uh, the, the tax, uh, taxes are basically similar. So Act 20 is the business side of it. Um, it's for export services, which is generally a pretty broad uh, base of things that you do off-island. It can range from consulting to marketing to fund administration. Um, there, there's a pr- pretty a majority of what you do um, offshore will count as export services, and that is taxed at four percent. There's a four percent corporate tax rate for that, and um, when you pass through your dividends to yourself personally, it is uh, tax-free after that. That's great. So, uh, with that said, you you are you do need to have one employee, which can be yourself. You do need to put yourself on payroll and take a, what they call market salary. So you do pay, uh, you know, a few extra percent, you know, but your total tax rate's likely seven, eight percent, depending on, on how things are structured. Um, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty amazing benefit. You, you do need to be here 183 days a year to take advantage of the benefit. Otherwise, you would just, otherwise it would be no different than being on the mainland because you'd have to repatriate the money and pay tax in the U.S. But if you're a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, and you're here 183 days and pass the closer connection test, you're, you're tax-free uh, or you're at 4%. Um, the second one is the Act 22, which is a, a personal exemption on short-term and long-term capital gains for Puerto Rico sourced income. Um, that covers stocks and bonds and uh, royalties or other, you know, any other items you sell. Um, the one thing it doesn't cover is real estate because real estate taxes are sourced where the, uh, property is located. Um, it can, in, in some cases cover, uh, if you are running a fund and the carried interest from the fund, even if there is some real estate component, that is sort of a, it's a much more technical thing that you'd need to actually talk to a tax advisor about, but. Um, you know, stocks, bonds, options, uh, there's a lot of crypto traders that have moved down here and there's a lot of full-time equities, traders, swing traders, day traders that have moved down here, um, you know, to take advantage of those benefits. So there's a lot of smart people around me. I'm learning something. I'm learning a bit about options trading now that I never, you know, never, never bothered with, uh, before, but, uh, you know, just given some of the, you know, the, uh, the tax benefits, it's actually been a, been a fun little game to, uh, to learn options trading. So now that you're, you know, located in Puerto Rico and you're set up to take part of uh, the tax benefits and the awesome island there, you know, what are you doing work-wise? Are you doing any consulting work, advisory? Yeah, yeah. So um, when I left my prior firm um, after my non-compete was up, I did pick up an advisory uh, role with um, another prominent, larger um, um, mortgage investment firm. And so I helped them just overall business development uh, sourcing larger opportunities from some of the Wall Street firms, uh, working towards getting kind of institutional lines of credit, uh, you know, potentially taking advantage of the securitization market. So, so on the on the kind of larger fund side, I'm still I still have one foot in um, in that world, 
And um, additionally, uh, I'd always wanted to set up a platform to have sort of my friends, family, associates uh, be able to co-invest in, in our deals. You know, we were, once we were part of this larger fund, you know, they were raising money from pension funds and, you know, sovereign governments. And, uh, you know, they weren't, there wasn't an option to take 50 or 100,000 from the average investor. And I, I think there's not enough access to that in the market. I feel, I, you know, I know a fair amount of just colleagues that, you know, their money is sitting at, you know, Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or, you know, TD Ameritrade. And, you know, they're just trying to, you know, the standard wealth advisor is saying, you put your money in stocks and bonds and you put 40% here and you, you try to make that eight or 10% a year. And, you know, the fact is on the, on the alternative investments, the returns can be significantly higher. And there's also much better tax benefits, even for just the average um, investor. Um, one of the areas that uh, in addition to the distressed loan investing, which I, you know, I know super well and see significant deal flow, you know, I've also personally been investing in multifamily apartment repositionings. And, um, you know, especially when I was back in New York as a, you know, a high income earner, the depreciation pass through becomes a major, a major factor in, in investment returns. So, um, you know, if you're owning a publicly traded REIT and you're getting a dividend that, you know, may not even qualify for the lower dividend tax because some of the, you know, the REITs don't take the tax up front, you, you may be paying 25 or 30% tax on your dividends versus if you invest in a multifamily apartment syndication, you actually get your return of capital tax free because of the uh, depreciation uh, that's passed through. So, um, you know, I don't want to get too, too technical on, 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 on this, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of advantages of the alternative asset space. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually formally launching my own uh, Regulation D 506C fund that, um, you know, uh, my colleagues can co-invest uh, alongside uh, me into various uh, distressed debt, multifamily, um, potentially self-storage, um, it's really a pretty broad, diversified real estate fund that uh, works with multiple multiple operators in multiple markets to really give uh, a passive investor diversification of their uh, real estate assets. That's that's great. So, what is the you know what is kind of your goals there for the next five years? What you know what specific assets are you going to start with first? So it, it's it's really going to be a combination. Um, you know. Uh, Distressed debt or reperforming loans is certainly a, a component uh, of, of the space. Um, the other key component um, is being a co-GP or co-sponsor of multifamily or self-storage deals. What, what happens in, uh, in the market, and it's, we're really focused on the middle market, so deals below $25 million in general, where none of the publicly traded real estate investment companies or larger institutional buyers are, are are looking at deals of that size. So it's really a lot of what I call mom and pop syndicators. Um, and they're always looking to raise a few million dollars in, and most of the time they only have 30 to 60 days to do it because you get a building under contract, you have a certain time to do your due diligence and raise capital. So the, 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 the real alpha, if you will, of this fund is that uh, when, when, when a syndicator needs $2 million in 30 days, they're often willing to share part of the, the partnership with uh, with key investors, so um, we actually get a better deal than the average uh, person would get, and and these are off market deals to begin with. These are private partnerships, so um, you know if you're a, a doctor or a lawyer or you know an executive, you don't have time to to vet 
hundreds of these sponsors to figure out, you know, who, who has a good deal, uh, you know, is the, is the real estate a good deal to begin with? And then are the sponsors and the operators actually, you know, trustworthy, successful groups. So just based on the, the 20 years of experience of, of contacts that, uh, that we have, it's, it's a, you know, we have, we have the whole system together and, uh, we're aggregating sort of more passive capital into deals along with our own money to help provide, uh, capital to these operators to help them execute on their strategy. And they're happy to, to partner with us when they know they can make one phone call and get a, a, a majority of the funds. Uh, it's almost like we're a bridge lender, but doing it for equity as opposed to lending, you know, lending on debt. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great model and, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's really just uh, leveraging the relationships and the connections. So, so I actually, I look at it as, as uh, you know, less risky than potentially putting money into a, re, a real estate investment trust in the stock market where, you know, a piece of news could drop the price by 20%. So, you know, these deals are longer term holds, you know, we're, we're generally in buildings for five to seven years and, um, you know, whatever happens in the stock market or, uh, you know, doesn't really affect the, the returns. Um, you know, we are very cognizant of COVID. Um, the deals I've been in recently are still collecting 90 to 93% of their, their projected rents. Um, there is some concern that once some of the government uh, stimulus money um, <clears throat> runs out that, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, there'll be a, a further spike in, in, uh, you know, tenant defaults, but, uh, you know, in, in general, it's been more stable than I would have thought in March, uh, both across the, the multifamily market and, and really the, the, the loan, the performing market as well. Um, you know, our performing loan and portfolios, a majority of the, the, the borrowers that we're paying are, are still paying, um, the, uh, non-performing portfolios. Uh, one of the unfortunate things is, um, you know, some of the, the loans that hadn't paid in two years already, you know, there's been moratoriums on foreclosures. So some of the, the loans that were already in default, they're just have, have extended their timelines. And, uh, you know, the, the people that were already not paying have just got the benefit of, of additional time just because of the crisis. But, um, you know, that's just, uh, you know, one of the, the natures of the business. And our goal was always to modify loans and help people stay in their houses if they can afford it. And, uh, you know, given, given the crisis, it just adds an extra variable to confirming if, if someone really has a hardship because of COVID or they just, um, you know, couldn't afford the house to begin with, or maybe should never have, you know, if they bought the loan in 2000, if they bought the more, if they bought that property in 2006, we're still dealing with some loans where people probably, you know, would not have gotten approved for a mortgage in today's standards, but uh, pre-2008, it was a different world. No, I agree there. And what I'm seeing even, you know, people need to think about when they're doing a syndication, whether they're raising for real estate uh, or even I see on the venture side is sometimes strategic LPs, and I'm sure like yourself, where they have background and expertise in what the field is, can bring added value to the deal, whether it's on a consulting side, help underwriting, or just go through any problems that, you know, the deal may see over the years. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just uh, as a random example, um, you know, we're going to do a deal in Augusta, Georgia. And I just had a conversation um, a couple days ago with another, a, a group that's based in New Jersey that has some multifamily all over the country and they own another complex in Augusta, Georgia. So I'm bringing that deal as a first look to my 
operator that uh, you know is already under contract to buy a different building in Augusta, Georgia. So um, you know the, the networking, uh, yeah, str the strategic partner is 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 one hundred percent true, and and that's what what I what I strive to do with uh, anybody I work with, whether they're a passive investor, whether they're an operator, whether they're just a you know even a real estate broker, mortgage broker. Um, you know, it's always about finding finding the next opportunity. And, you know, beyond, uh, beyond the real estate assets, are you seeing any opportunistic other alternative assets that you guys may approach in your fund? So the, the fund is uh, just by the nature of sort of disclosure of what we're going to do and not do. So this specific fund is, is likely to stay real estate. Um, but um, I've also looked into other smaller funds or maybe doing a separate fund that's sort of based on more alternative asset classes. Um, one of the things I've done personally, I've invested in a, in a startup called Gearflow through the Kellogg network. Um, so I have a executive, I got my MBA last year. So I did the global executive program where, um, Kellogg has uh, partner schools in six different countries. So, um, actually coincidentally, these guys are from Chicago, but I met the one partner in Tel Aviv, uh, Israel during a venture capital class. And, uh, so Gearflow, um, helps, uh, heavy equipment manufacturers uh, sell their spare parts. Um, and uh, one of the founders has a family business in that market already. So they're really just adding a technology layer onto a, you know, what was a very uh, non-technology business. And they have a ton of demand and they needed extra capital to fill out their website because their website was breaking because they had too many parts. So I, I thought it was a really cool opportunity. Um, I, I follow the... Um, um, online business market extensively. Um, I bought a few websites on on sort of speculation, just trying to get a better uh, feel of the market. And uh, you know, there, there there's some interesting opportunities that you know, if you convert it to real estate, you can generally buy at a 30 cap. Um, granted, it's not secured by actual land, but in in many cases, you're secured by an operating business um, that's generating money through advertising revenue or subscription uh, based revenue. So um, it's definitely a market I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Um, there's another uh, uh, market called search funds where um, um, funds will actually back a, a entrepreneur to buy a uh, operating brick and mortar business. Uh, everything, it might be a roofing company or a um, garage door company. Yeah, it's very simple brick and mortar businesses, but many of these businesses when the owners are in their in their fifties or sixties and want to sell or retire and they don't have a family member to take over. Um, there's just, there's really a need for, for executives that can take over and run these, uh, you know, these great businesses, but they're not, they're not going to be the next uh, tech unicorn business. So um, those are also the types of opportunities you can generally, you know, buy at a 20 to 30% return. And, you know, these are returns you're not going to find in a traditional market in general, unless you're a full-time trader. That's actually really good. Um, you know, they say you can't really beat the market, but you know, I, I just don't look at this as beating the market. This is just buying small cap uh, middle market businesses. And uh, if you study Warren Buffett, a lot of their returns were actually the better returns. A lot of them were on the private side, not on the publicly traded side. I think we're seeing that a lot more right now, or at least discussion around the news between the private equity and venture returns, or we'll call it more non-liquid tradable assets, having a higher return over a period of time. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, the overhead and cost of being public, or just a matter of, you know, 
sometimes being locked into an investment, you actually have to hold out for the duration. And sometimes the pro highest profitability is not made for years to come. So I think sometimes that helps that higher return. What is your thought? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's a, I mean, there's a premium for liquidity. So when you have the liquidity, people will pile into these publicly traded assets, drive up the, drive up the PE ratios, drive, you know, drive up everything. And then, uh, um, they, they get over, they get overbought, but, uh, you know, there's less access to these private deals and, uh, yeah, it forces people to stay in for a longer period of time and it, it becomes, you know, it's really just an operating business at that point, as opposed to, you know, a, a stock that, you know, may trade drastically different than what the economics of the actual company are. Now, do you have any opinion on maybe what some of the opportunities are going to be on the, uh, you know, private equity side or these small businesses and or real estate, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months with what we're seeing in the current economic condition? Sure. So uh, real estate wise, um, I, I'm actually pretty bullish on the residential side. I, I think that supply is going to continue to be limited. You know, if you're if you were thinking of selling your house this year and it, and um, you're, you don't have to for some reason, do you really want strangers walking through your house during COVID? You know, the answer is proving generally to be no. So there's not as many new houses being listed. The foreclosures that we had that were vacant houses, they're, they're selling very, very quickly. And in some cases, there's multiple offers. So, you know, the people that have to buy, there's only so many houses to buy. And, and that single family market trickles down to the multifamily. There's not as many single family houses, so more people will stay in the multifamily apartment buildings. Um, Self-storage is, is generally been recession resistant. If uh, people can't expand into a bigger house, they're gonna need places to put their stuff. If the economy goes bad and people downsize, they need a place to put their stuff. So, um, you know, storage I think is a, is a perennial asset class. That's a, it's a good diversification. Um, retail and office is going to be, uh, very, very challenging. There's going to be some opportunities. Um, you know, it's really, it's going to be market by market and case by case. Uh, you know, to use lower Manhattan as an example, um, you know, I lived in, I lived on wall street in 2008, nine, 10, and, uh, historically it was all office buildings and, you know, just between 9-11 and just even just generally the offices were moving more to Midtown to these newer, larger buildings. There was just not as much demand for office space and they converted a lot of those apartments to residential and they doubled their cost per square foot by converting to residential. So um, in many markets, there's very well located um, sort of, uh, you know, office buildings or strip malls that might be better suited for a residential mixed use development with uh, mostly apartments, but then, a few retail stores that are, you know, gonna gonna survive regardless of how big Amazon gets. So, um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity on on that front, but it's it's uh, you know, it's going to be just case by case, city by city. And for for passive investors, I think it's a, it's a key to find an operator. These will be the types of deals that will be syndicated, um, at, you know, on a, on a smaller scale where. You know, I think it's find find a good operating partner, and if you want exposure to that market, there's going to be opportunities. And um, on the on the tech front, yeah, I think uh, what I described before, I think the search funds and the um, software as a service. Uh, you know, I know a group that has a specific fund for software as a service, where they they buy operating businesses and they do everything. They they uh, help grow them and um, partner with the current operators, and they're. Um, they're going to, you know, they continue to do that. And I think as more things move online, COVID basically moved everything five or 10 years ahead of what it might've done anyway. So um, it's been, uh, you know, 
it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, how things continue to develop. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, COVID automation, software, remote work, uh, you know, it, it's definitely changing right now. And I, it'll be interesting looking back five or 10 years out and just how things changed and maybe how the job market has shifted, you know, from one certain areas to other areas. You know, small business acquisition side, we're seeing a lot of talk, you know, people just kind of coming on videos and talking about how much opportunity may be there, you know, outside of even software, just small business, whether it's a service-based business or something, but there's going to be a lot of transition or generations moving on or retiring and selling their businesses. Do you see any opportunity there that you guys may participate in or? Yeah, I can see. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the search fund uh, model. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think those are great opportunities because, you know, a lot of these businesses you're buying at two to three times earnings. Um, you know, those are, you know, a publicly traded company you might be buying at, you know, what is the PE ratio right now? 16 or 20 or something, you know, some companies it's a hundred. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think I love those deals. I am, I don't want to tie myself to working 80 hours a week in, in directly in one business somewhere. You know, I'm more on the, you know, aggregation of capital and finance side, but those are deals I'd love to be a passive investor in, whether it's through this fund or a different fund. Um, I, I think that's a huge opportunity. And, uh, you know, for someone who has, you know, more of a corporate background, but, you know, has an entrepreneurial desire, but, you know, maybe doesn't want to bootstrap and start from zero. I think buying a business to grow that already has some resources is, is, is potentially a much better avenue than trying to do a startup from scratch because, you know, statistically, you know, a very high percentage of startup businesses fail. But um, if you take over a business that, you know, maybe has been managed well, but, you know, maybe the owner has been very stable and just hasn't tried to grow the last 10 or 15 years because they're comfortable that it was working for them. But, you know, buying something that already has generates a reasonable return gives you free cash flow and gives you the ability to be entrepreneurial and grow it, um, I think is, is an amazing opportunity. And uh, there's actually a lot of capital interested in those types of deals. So, and it's and probably easier to raise money to buy something existing than to start try to raise money to start something from zero, especially if you're not trying to start a unicorn. Uh, venture capital wants something that could have a hundred times returns, but there's different kinds of capital that are okay to buy a business that's going to spit off the, uh, a profitable cash flow stream every year. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so the last question we have here is what has been the most impactful thing or the one thing that has benefited you the most to help increase your net worth over the years? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's really just kind of that that almost just naive optimism, not naive optimism, but just I'm willing to put myself out there. Um, there's always, you know, I've taken calls and meetings that I didn't think were going to go anywhere. And, and you do have to be careful not to just like, distract yourself too, too much, but you know, you never know where, you know, where, where something, um, I, I've talked to no, you know, potential guys that were trying to buy properties or mortgages from me that didn't have any of their own money, but wanted to learn. And then, you know, a year later they partnered with someone and they've got a, a million bucks, 2 million bucks. And now we've done a lot of business together. So, so I think you just got, you gotta, you, you gotta explore every opportunity and really put yourself out there and, um, you know, make sure people are aware of what you're doing, what you need. Um, you know, one of the networking events I did through Kellogg, it's like when everyone got up and kind of gave their elevator pitch, it's like, give one need you have and one lead to someone else. So the one need and one lead. That's good. Is, is, That's I think, good. a great way to conduct. I like that. Business. I like that. And so for all the listeners, if they want to reach out to you and learn more, 
you know, value to connect or learn more about the fund that you're putting in place? What is the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, sure. So um, obviously I'm on all social media. We've, we've got a LinkedIn page. My website is JKAM Investments. It's uh, short for JK Asset Management Investments, jkaminvestments.com. Um, I'm sure in the show notes, you'll put the, you know, the rest of, uh, you know, email address, uh, website, uh, LinkedIn. I'm on a few of the, you know, there's a various Facebook groups I'm on that have, that deal with real you know, mortgage investing, real estate investing, et cetera. And, um, yeah, very accessible. The fund is, uh, by the time this airs, the fund will be live and, uh, happy to talk with, uh, anyone and answer questions and, um, you know, any possible opportunities as well, whether it's buying and selling of mortgages, properties, people looking for private loan, uh, hard money loans, uh, you know, really everything, just uh, reach out and we'll see if there's some synergies. Well, thank you, Jack, for coming on today and also being a great friend over the years. I appreciate the relationship and we look forward to seeing you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching my latest interview. If you like what you saw, please click the subscribe button below to become a member of the Joe Robert community. Be sure to hit the bell to turn on all notifications so you always know when I post a new video. Tell me what you thought about the content in the comments below. I always read them and would love to answer any of your questions.